everybody, welcome to Creepy Club. I'm Rissa. I'm Heidi. And this is the podcast where we talk everything creepy and crimey. And it, who the heck knows what else? <laughs> we're, prone to, we're prone to tangents. That's Just true. Fair warning up front. So if you hate that, you might want to turn around. Oh, I'd like um, to point out that I, in the meeting minutes uh, for every episode, I put in a little timestamp for when the topic starts. So if you don't like to hear us you know, rattle on at the top, you can always skip ahead to that place where yes, we start if talking. Like, if you're like, I wish, wish those bitches would just shut it down and land the plane, you can look in the meeting minutes and get right to the meat of it. Although, fair warning, that doesn't mean we may not go on a tangent during the discussion of the topic. That's true. There are just fewer usually anyway also if it's your first time here um creepy club is not hyperbole we mean it (laughs) if you have youngsters around who might be easily um you know scared or upset by such topics you may want to throw on some earphones or if you are one of those humans that's sensitive to those kind of things, maybe check out what Disney has to offer. <laughs> I don't know what other people I don't know what other people listen to. And there are many curse words spoken in this podcast. So you have been warned. We've told you all the possible things. So I had something kind of creepy and crimey happen to me yesterday. Ooh. <laughs> I was... I feel already mm-hmm. a little nervous since you live 20 feet away from me and well this was when I was driving delivering pizzas so it's not oh, okay within not this vicinity although it is disturbingly close um I was out delivering pizzas and I'm I was going um uh what direction is that east on arsenal towards grand and okay can we just pause for one second Mm -hmm. i just need to say that as your honorary older sister i already have anxiety about you delivering pizza and i just want to know how like the estimated amount of increase in anxiety i'm gonna experience as a result of hearing this story Mm, i mean it didn't really happen directly to me so uh, you know i don't know (laughs) i don't know what to tell you just maybe we should just i'll just make a book appointment with therapist posted right now so go ahead so four i'm driving down arsenal and four cop cars like fly past me which is Don't in like in and of itself not entirely unusual in St. Louis City. Uh, and I don't really think a whole lot of it. Uh, and then I turn down a street and it's, I'm about a block uh, south of Tower Grove Park. And I get out, deliver my pizza, and I get back in my car and I realize that the cop cars are like patrolling the neighborhood. And I'm like, oh God, there's like some sort of manhunt going on or something and did you uh, hear the copter what did you hear the police helicopter no um okay and then i see behind me 
the police parking like perpendicular to the road so they're blocking off the road behind me like the intersection i was just at and so i'm like okay i I gotta leave and uh so i get out of there and i start checking twitter and reddit and stuff and i see that people are on reddit are saying like it's like people that live in that neighborhood are like oh it's they're saying it's a shooting um come to find out like uh police officers responded to a shooting in that area and then the the suspect went and um held two people at gunpoint in their home and made them like get out of their house and then barricaded himself in the house and then he shot two police officers one one has been released from the hospital and the other is in critical condition because he was shot in the head um, okay, that's not cool. I have my issues with the police, but just human to human, just randomly shooting people for no reason, I'm not down with that. Right. I don't think it's okay when the cops do it to suspects. Right. And I don't think it's okay when suspects just randomly shoot people, whether it's a cop or an innocent bystander. Yeah, they don't have any information on the, like, original victims of the shooting. Um, But they did, there was, like, a 12, no, I think it was, like, five-hour standoff. And they finally um, took him into custody. So um, that was... It, that was crazy. It happened on the block that I was delivering a pizza on. Um, was it related to a domestic incident and he flee, He fled or was it a criminal who had been um, like caught in the act and fled? Um, I think, I don't know if it was a domestic dispute or what, but it was, just, they just said that police were responding to a shooting um so i don't know what the nature of the shooting was but i guess this something this guy like shot either shot somebody or shot at somebody or just shot his gun i don't know and then and then took that like made those people get out of their house and barricaded himself there was something really similar happened in that same so i guess that's like tower grove east Something really similar happened about a year ago in that same neighborhood where they had to block off the entire neighborhood. Although in that case, I do think it was domestic, a domestic violence situation, and they had taken other residents hostage. But there was a many hour standoff with the police yeah, and people that. weren't allowed to leave their home mm-hmm. for several hours and there was all kinds of chatter about it on the neighborhood groups and next door and i think it even bled into the buy nothing group mm-hmm. it was very weird i don't i never did follow up on that case to see what happened i guess i'll make a note to myself that's i don't I do not appreciate being inserted into the middle of an active crime. Yeah. Um, and also there was a shooting at that tiki bar in the Grove last night as well. For real? Like, mm-hmm. how are you going to be mad when you're drinking a fruity cocktail? Right. Um, it started, I think the uh, altercation, I think what I read was that there was a man being robbed like outside of the bar 
And the man being robbed started running and ran inside the bar and the, you know, assailant chased him and shot him. He got shot in the back. Uh, And then I think he shot another person in the leg. And then there was like a bullet ricocheted and hit somebody in the arm. Um, And the two people that got shot in the leg and arm are fine. But I think the guy that got shot in the back. They, they're saying he might not walk again, which is really... Oh. Yeah, heartbreaking. Um, yeah, and I these s- are... These are two... What What is alarming to me is these are two neighborhoods that are considered safe in the city. And it's... Yeah, it's just like... I would say that Tower Grove East is probably considered safe. I would say that the Grove is still... But in the process of gentrification. Not, yeah, but it's like, uh, the Grove is not, you're not going to get shot in the Grove. You know, I guess now you are, but like, you know. I was going to say, apparently it's possible. I mean, there, most of that has been gentrified. There was a time not that long ago, I had a friend who lived over in that area who bought a house maybe 10 years ago for I guarantee that is no longer possible. Right. You know, so it's not... I mean, and and especially in that particular area where the Tiki Bar is, like, that's that's a very, like... It's on the main drag. Yeah, it's a, like, well-traversed, well-lit area. It used to be, if you went east of Manchester and Kings Highway, you had that, I better lock my doors vibe going on in your head because there was a lot of dodgy activity on that what's it's like probably a mile long strip of manchester until you get to um uh what's the road that goes to gravoy is that southwest shoto yeah i I think shoto turns into southwest if i'm not mistaken i don't know no that's vandevender i was like that's not right (laughs) because Vandevener is perpendicular. Does Shoto turn into Vandevener? I don't remember. Uh, where White Castle is? Getting around St. Louis is difficult for people. <laughs> and also, if you're French and you just thought to yourself, that was the worst butchering of a French word I've ever heard, you are correct. Well, I don't, e- I don't even think it'd be recognizable as a French word, but, you know. It's spelled C-H-O-U-T-E-A-U. Mm-hmm. It'd be Chateau. Chateau. Kind of like Chateau. But that's not... We butcher all of it. We have a... Historically started with a French population. So we have many streets that are named in french but all those people were like we've had enough of these losers and took off mm-hmm. and um what was the people that were left definitely did not speak french so we just made up whatever we thought it should sound like well and we've we've talked about that before but on a lighter note i attended my niece's virtual dance recital today which oh, was, that's so fun! It's a so adorable. former dance major that mm-hmm. has to make your heart sing. Yeah, I cried the entire time. <laughs> oh, 
Aw, remember, how old is she now? Four or five? Four, yeah. Oh, she's so cute. Mm-hmm. So she she's did a that. she did a great job, and she had a little tutu on, and it was so cute. She followed directions and didn't cry and go off stage or anything. Right? Yeah, she was great. That's impressive. There were a lot of parents that were um, fighting with their kids to get them on the camera. It's oh yeah, adorable and yeah. funny. But that age group and group activities mm-hmm. are. Um, uh, th- there, there are no guarantees, and there's usually one kid who does something that is unintentionally hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I just wondered if she, if she was that kid or if she actually was no, able she to was good. keep it together. Oh, mm-hmm. good job, kid! And she gave us like a we we um all got on video call after the recital, and she gave us another recital. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's I would have cried too. <laughs> Little people doing stuff like that. They're just, it's so impressive to me, especially since, well, as you'll recall, if, if you're a longtime listener, we used to do Dance Dance Revolution before. Oh each my episode. God. I forgot about that. Yeah. It didn't last long because I'm pretty bad at it. So I wasn't really encouraging that activity. Um, I cannot mirror Mm. Which is why when we do our clapping thing at the beginning to get synced, I have to lead the exercise because I can't mirror. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Somebody who, um, who who knows stuff about things, if you know what that's <laughs> called, the inhibit, if you're the right kind of ologist to know about that, if you want to tell me what that is that'd be great but mm-hmm. i any sort of group exercise or dance classes i am the person in the back knocking everyone over <laughs> i just i my brain will not mirror activity well should we get into the topic do we have anything else to discuss i don't hmm. i don't think i do it's just well my virtual class has pretty much absorbed all of my free time Mm. just curriculum student questions that kind of stuff so i've done that i've been going to work and today's my husband's birthday which is pretty awesome oh yeah i i wrote on his wall happy birthday Heath. happy birthday (laughs) momo you beat me i haven't even done it yet (laughs) but i was here I was here. I wished him happy birthday. In, there you go. In person. Mm-hmm. The other day he made me coffee and he said, well, what do I get? And I said, my continued commitment to this relationship. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, no, I'm giving you something. What am I getting in return? I'm like, I'm giving you myself. Is that not enough for you? Mm. And then just wandered to the kitchen and made me coffee. <laughs> so... Um, his birthday present's a little better than my renewed commitment mm. that I already made in front of like 120 people. Mm-hmm. But you know that I think I have a solid point. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. All right. So I'm going to talk about your favorite subject. <laughs> Aliens. Yep. Oh, okay. 
I'm going to put on my tinfoil hat. Mm-hmm. Hang on. You try to keep an open mind, and I I was looking at this from a skeptical standpoint, too. I looked up, um, you know, the other side of the argument of this, too. I didn't know I needed tinfoil for this episode. Mm. Oh, well. You have post okay. notes. That'll work. I'll bury some pennies in the yard later. <laughs> All right. So... On uh, November 5th, 1975, a man named Travis Walton uh, and six other men were working in uh, the Apache Sitgreaves National Forest, which is near Snowflake, Utah. Is that a cute name for a town? I just thought the same thing. I thought, (laughs) I feel like, I don't, we call it Giftmas, not Christmas, because Mm -hmm. it's not a religious event for us at all but i thought that would be the cutest place ever to go for gift miss yeah snowflake um so they were working on a crew they were under contract to remove damaged and dead trees in the forest uh and they were working until sundown because they were kind of running behind on the contract uh and and so the six men uh were all driving they were driving away from the work site and it was kind of it was dark and they're all in the same truck and they see this yellowish glow coming through the trees and so they're driving and they see kind of a break in the tree line and where the light is like shining on the road and so they drive up to it and they see through the trees they see a craft um it's about hovering about 15 to 25 feet above the ground it's about 40 foot in diameter and it was about 110 feet away from them and they described it as sleek and beautiful and like a dome on top basically your stereotypical flying saucer um so travis walton jumps out of the truck and starts running towards the craft because he's excited (laughs) i guess um why this is like in a horror movie that is not (laughs) right you were not supposed to run towards it Exactly. Um, he said that the this... craft was emitting this high-pitched alternating frequency that you could you could hear it. Um, it was traveling very well, but as he was getting closer, he could hear more details in the sound. Like, he could hear frequencies on the very high edge and on the very low edge of human hearing. Um, and he could kind of feel the, the, you know, lower frequencies in his body. Um, and there, the... The boss of this crew, his name is Mike Rogers, he said he could feel it. His his elbow was resting on the window of the truck and he could feel it through his elbow. And the sound started getting more and more intense as Travis walked towards it. Uh, and so at that point, Travis got scared and turned to run away. And the men said that they saw the forest light up blue and green and Travis was like hit by this beam of light. And it, it raised him up about 20, 10 to 20 feet in the air with his arms and legs stretched out. Um, and then, and Travis said he felt a blast of energy hit him and a numbing shock go through his body. And then he fell, the men said that he fell crumpled like he didn't have any bones. Uh, and the men were convinced that he was dead. And so they hightailed it out of there. They drove off. Um, I don't... Okay, wait. 
what happened to his bones? Well, they said he just dropped as if he didn't have any... Like, he was like... He hit the like ground... Like he turned into jelly? He hit the ground and crumpled like he didn't have any bones. I don't know... If, like, I, I mean, obviously, I don't even know if this is real, but, like... <laughs> I don't know if the aliens took his bones or whatever. I don't know. But they... The point is that the men were convinced that he was dead when he fell on the ground, and so they drove away. Um... About I think it was like twenty minutes later. There, the Mike Rogers, Mike Rogers, the the boss of the crew, he was like, "No, we need to go back and and get his body, right?" So they turn around and go and try to look for him, and they uh, they were kind of expecting to find his dead body, but they didn't find anything. So they left to go get help from the police, I suppose. Um. So search parties were sent out, um, led by deputy sheriffs. Um, and the deputy kept saying to one of the guys, uh, one of the the men that were on the crew, if you just tell us where you hid the body, this could be over. So they were suspecting foul play on the part of these six men. Uh, they sent out, hmm. yeah, they sent out dogs, um, and they never found any evidence uh, so they started investigating the crew. They kept the man in jail for interviews and polygraph tests. And this isn't this. Okay. Uh, this is a disclaimer. The polygraph test plays a major part in the story. Um, this was in the 1970s when we thought that polygraph tests were like accurate and worth being used as evidence. But now we know that they don't really tell us a whole lot. Right. So polygraph tests can't say whether or not you're lying, but what they can do is detect uh, biological responses. Right. So uh, the man who was giving the polygraph test was named Cy Gilson. He was considered a polygraph expert. He worked for the Arizona Department of Public Safety, and he was well known as a polygraph examiner. Um, he came up with this, uh, exam that was four questions that they asked the men over and over and over again. And he said, oh, and I also want to say that I got some of this info from Wikipedia and another site. I can't remember. I listed all the sources in the meeting minutes, but most of this information is coming from a documentary that I watched on Amazon prime. It's called Travis. Um, I, there's like a subtitle that I'm not remembering, but I linked to it on the meeting minutes, um, creepyclubpodcast.com. And, um, I also want to say that the documentary I watched was extremely biased towards, uh, believing that this story is true. So keep that in mind as okay. we go through. Got uh, it. so Cy Gilson in the, in the documentary, in his interview, he, talked about how there was one guy on the crew who was uh i think his name was steve his he was 17 years old at the time and he seemed like the most nervous and so the polygraph examiner was like i wanted to test him first because people that are nervous like that are most likely to crack under pressure right uh, and so, and Steve ended up passing the polygraph and the examiner was, said he was really surprised by that. Uh, so 
six men were tested five of them passed uh and one was was inconclusive um and the one guy that was inconclusive his name his last name was dallas and he said that dallas was uncooperative he couldn't really sit still um and it might be because he had been in trouble with the law prior to this um of the examin the the examiner was of the opinion that it was impossible for five men for all five men to pass if they were all lying. Uh, and Edward Gelp, uh, who was president of the Polygraph Association, had the same opinion. He said the chances of that were a million to one. He pointed out that one person can pass a test, but for multiple people to pass is highly unlikely. Um, and uh but sheriff gillespie who was the sheriff that was you know lead on this case he still didn't believe the men then five days later travis shows up again uh he's had uh he looked like he had five days of beard growth on his face and he lost about 12 pounds um he called his brother Dwayne. Um, from a phone booth at an Amico station nearby and said he needed help. Um, Dwayne picked him up and he said when he hugged him, Travis was crying. Um, and Travis said he was under the impression that it was still the same night as when he disappeared. And his brother was like, Travis, feel your face. And he like touched his beard and was like, oh, what the heck? Um, so then he was hospitalized in Tucson, um, and he, he describes being catatonic for a little while. Like, he, he talks a little bit about post-traumatic stress. I don't know if he was, like, officially diagnosed. Well, and I, at the time, I don't think post-traumatic stress disorder was an actual diagnosis anyone was ever given. Um, but uh, he talks about being, you know, shell-shocked and... Uh, the, of course, the media and, like, UFO researchers start descending on the town. Um, all of the witnesses that were involved were called, like, constantly, um, and all the investigators were called constantly from different outlets. Um, Travis was chased through traffic after being released from the hospital. Um, and this was kind of a weird thing that they said in the documentary, and I don't really... They didn't really go into detail, but Travis said that him and his family were warned that they might be in danger from some high-level government agency. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Okay. Um, and then some of the men that were on that crew, they, they thought that they were being, not thought, but they described that there were men following them that were in suits and they drove big Plymouth uh, cars, which uh, they said, everybody knows that that's the government. Um, I mean, I you know, that might be true for the time, you know, time period, but I don't know. Um, Travis reports being in a very fragile position or condition after getting back. Um, he can only remember about two hours worth of time that he was missing. Um, and at the time, he kind of denies giving interviews and polygraphs. But later, he went under hypnosis to be able to recount all the memories he had. 
um, the doctor who gave him what put him under hypnosis was like they they said in the documentary was pretty well known and well respected and he stressed the impact that this event had had on Travis like it clearly disturbed him uh, and the hypnosis was observed by two psychiatrists and lots of other people so here's what Travis uncovered during hypnosis he said that there was a light he w- kind of woke up and uh His eyes were unfocused, and he saw, like, a light shining down on him from the ceiling. He was laying on a table, and he kind of thought he was in a hospital at first, uh, and he didn't want to move because he was in pain. Then he looks over, and he sees two figures. Um, He describes them as having underdeveloped features, and they were bald, completely hairless. Uh, he, He reached over and grabbed... A test tube and broke it to try to like I don't know stab the beings um, and the beings made no attempt to stop him they were just like fuck this I'm out and they left the room uh, and he followed them they said that or he said that there was a cor- the, the room uh, led to a corridor and the beings went right so he went left uh, and the corridor was pretty dimly lit, and he, he ran into this other room, he said, that had transparent walls where you could see the stars through them. And he saw, like, a control board with buttons and knobs. And then he hears somebody come in, and he was surprised that to see it was, like, a human, like a regular human. Uh, and the human had this, like, clear helmet on his head. He started asking this guy questions, but the man didn't answer him. And he started leading him through the through a large room that had two other flying saucers, um, and then led down a hallway into another room with three other humans. They didn't have helmets on him on them, but they also didn't talk to him. They put a clear mask over his face, and then he went unconscious. When he came to, he was walking down a road and he saw a light above him that shot straight up and flew away without a sound. Um, so Travis thinks that the aliens may have like killed him or brought him close to death with that beam of energy they shot him with back in the forest. And they brought him aboard their craft to like revive him. So, mm-hmm. after that, uh, research was conducted on the forest where he was abducted, and they found that the trees had an unusual growth rate uh, within the vicinity of the abduction site. Um, the trees were producing wood fiber wood fiber. 36 times the rate they had been 85 years before. And the effect diminished the further you got away from the site. And not only that, but they took cross sections of the trees uh, and it showed that there was like a bulging towards the UFO site. So if you, if you imagine like a hard boiled egg cut in half and the, 
and the yolk, you know, is kind of in the round part and there's like a bulge out to one side. That's kind of what the cross section of the tree looked like. If you think of the yolk as like the center of the tree rings. Uh, and then the bulge would like is pointing towards where they saw the UFO. Um, and that that's kind of I don't know if they actually took cross sections. They they kind of just illustrated that in the documentary. So there wasn't any um, pictures of the cross sections. They hmm. they think that maybe the cell growth was caused by radiation. Um, and, uh, one of the researchers found evidence that trees that were in the vicinity of Chernobyl kind of had the same spike and growth rate. So that is the theory. Hmm. Then the documentary, yeah. Then the documentary talks about Stanton Friedman, who is a nuclear physicist, um, and he's a UFO researcher. Um, and they kind of... This is where I was like, okay, this <laughs> this documentary is very biased, but they start touting about how this how Stanton Friedman is very evidence based, and he like keeps an open mind until he's collected all the evidence, and um, like they go on and on about like his credibility and all that, and they never really like discuss what he found like i assume that i don't even know if they even say that he investigated um but i i they were sort of alluding that he had investigated but they never really said um what he found but anyway so they make this big case about how stan friedman is a stand-up dude um and then they talk about Philip J. Class, who he's a journalist um, and a UFO researcher, but he's more on the skeptical side of UFO research. And he's well known for like trying to disprove a lot of, um, uh, you know, UFO experiences and all that. And they said he was an expert at killing the character of a witness if he couldn't disprove their story. And one of the re- UFO researchers that was on the documentary uh, attributes him to being responsible for this man's this man named James James McDonald's suicide. Um, mm. James E. McDonald was a leading uh, leading atmospheric physicist in America, and he also campaigned for the expanding of UFO studies in the mid to late sixties. And apparently, like Philip. J class like came after him really hardcore and then he killed himself that, I mean the the person you know being interviewed in the documentary suggests that he killed himself because of the you know scrutiny that he was going under from Philip J class anyway that's just a side note okay so class just tries to discredit Travis's story. Um, Class claims that Travis held his breath during the polygraph examination to pass it and other methods to pass it. Um, Class said he uncovered a failed polygraph test from Travis. Uh, 
he, I mean, you know, which is great. I mean, we, now we know that polygraph tests aren't really conclusive of anything, but you know, at the time, I'm sure that was a huge scandal. <laughs> um, well, they I mean, they still use them. They're, I don't think they're admissible in court. No. But they, I mean, they can at least help people, help detectives get, make sure they're kind of on the right path. It won't definitively say this person is lying or not lying, but they seem to you know, this question or this topic elicits an emotional response for them that isn't present for other questions or topics. Mm -hmm. Uh, Class also... I mean, I do think they're useful. Mm -hmm. I just don't think that they are... You can't definitively say, oh, yeah, they were definitely lying because they failed a polygraph. Mm -hmm. So Class also wrote a letter to... Um, a news publication to destroy Friedman's reputation. Uh, And he also tried to, he called a lot of the witnesses, uh, including the polygraph examiner. And the polygraph examiner knew that class was, um, had a reputation for kind of being a a jerk. (laughs) And he said that he wanted, he would, yeah, go ahead and get interviewed by him, but he wanted his questions in writing before the interview, and class didn't want to do that. Um, That's interesting. Mm-hmm. One, One of the, time to mull it over, I right. guess. One of the witnesses had moved to Texas and um, changed his, like, started going by his middle name because he wanted to... Oh, Paco's hungry. Um he wanted to escape the scrutiny. Yeah, she's right on time. It is like 3.59. Do you need to pause to go feed him? No, because I I feed him when I am eating. Otherwise, he just screams at me the whole time. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, so this guy, the one of the witnesses, one of the men that was in the truck, had uh, moved to Texas, started going by his middle name. And uh, class found him and flew to Texas, took him to lunch, and offered him $10,000 to say it was a hoax. Which it is, Hmm. in today's money, that's $40,000. I was going to say, I mean, either way, it's a chunk of change. Right. Travis and the other witnesses uh, decided to offer to take another polygraph with a mutually agreed upon examiner. Uh, and if they were shown to be lying, they'd pay for the examination. And if they were shown to be truthful, they said that class could pay, but class did not want to cooperate with that. Um, class proposes that the boss of the crew, Mike Rogers had been in trouble with the contract that they were trying to fulfill, and he invented the story to get out of the contract. And we know that, like, they were running behind on it. Um, The deputy sheriff said that he knew that they were behind on the contract, but he didn't think that the story would help them get out of it. Uh, And then Mike Rogers went as so far as to get the contracting officers to sign affidavits saying that inventing the story didn't benefit him in any way and that it actually harmed him. Um, the Like making it a more valid tale. Yeah. Okay. 
So, and then they start in the documentary, they start talking about how they believe that class was hired by a third party, possibly a secret government agency, maybe just a individual um, to discredit the claims of witnesses of UFOs. Um, they found out that he was like very well connected to the NSA and at the time, you know, now we know the NSA exists, but at the time, nobody knew that they existed. Um, and they, they had a whole lot of evidence that they pointed out in the documentary up to that point. Um, after all of this, you know, went down, all of the men that had witnessed the UFO lost their jobs a lot of them decided to move away and change their names to hide from the media and from ridicule. <laughs> One of the, the the kid that was like 17 years old said that his mom still doesn't believe him, that she thinks it's like from the devil. <laughs> oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, so that was my first go-to. Mm-hmm. I found different uh, conflicting information as to whether Travis or his brother Dwayne received any money for their claim there was like a a national Enquirer had a reward out for like you know evidence of ufos um i i saw different amounts that was like five thousand or ten thousand it was like you know it's all conflicting information so it's really unclear if they ever got any money for that um travis walton did get a book deal out of it he wrote a book called the walton experience in 1978 and that inspired the 1993 film called fire in the sky hmm i don't think i've heard that one the fire in the sky they um they dramatized the story a bit because they thought travis's story was boring um no and in 2008 Walton appeared on the Fox game show called The Moment of Truth, where contestants answered 21 increasingly personal questions for cash prizes, and they're, um, they're on a, like, polygraph test. And <laughs> he was... Yeah. He, he said that he wouldn't have... He, he was hesitant to do go on the show, but the he had been laid off uh, or he knew he was getting laid off and the like cash prize was like too good to pass up. And so he went on the show uh, and he was asked if he was abducted in 1975. He replied, yes, but the polygraph test determined that he was lying. And he, Travis points out that this TV show is known to like play up the drama, you know, and um, ask some really like, salacious questions and he also said that their polygraph standards did not meet the same standards as the american polygraph association so who knows so yeah like i said the documentary was extremely biased and i kind of wanted to look up some you know counterpoint arguments to this being true um so here's here's some stuff that people found to be fishy Travis and his brother Dwayne were known to be UFO buffs before the incident, and they've claimed to see. They have claimed to see. Ha, ah, man, I can't talk. They claim to have seen many UFOs prior to the incident. 
Oh. Yeah. Uh, when Travis returned... I feel like that's not something... I mean... I feel like you're, people don't see UFOs all the time. Yeah. I agree. You see it once and <laughs> that's it. Maybe. Um... When Travis returned, neither he or his brother, Dwayne, notified the police. Um, the police actually found out that Travis had returned from the media. Um, and instead, his brother, Dwayne, took Travis directly to this UFO group in Phoenix um, because they wanted to examine him. Uh, during the search... Wait a minute. Yeah. Pause. The UFO group wanted to examine him yeah they so um apparently what the hell does that mean i don't know well so when um when travis disappeared apparently Dwayne called this ufo group to like tell them the story and the group said if travis reappears uh we want to test him uh we yeah, we want to take samples. I don't know. And so when they drove out to this, to Phoenix, um, I think Dwayne was under the impression that he was going to be examined by a doctor, but the person examining him was just some Joe Schmo. <laughs> and he was kind of mad that about it. sounds dodgy as hell. Yeah. So, and then while the search parties were happening... Dwayne and the boss, Mike Rogers, spent the majority of the time giving you interviews to UFO organizations instead of, like, helping to search for their friend and brother. Hmm. Um, and after a few days, Travis's mother called off the search, which seemed really weird to the authorities. And they mentioned that it didn't seem like his family was all that concerned about him being missing. Uh, and there is evidence that Trav that um, a phone call was received from at Travis's parents' home, or whoever he called. I forget. Oh, he called his brother. So there's evidence that a phone call was received around midnight from the phone booth, um, but uh, Travis's fingerprints weren't found on any of the phone receivers that he claimed to have used. Um. Mike Rogers stated in a police interview that he was late on the contract and hoped that Travis's disappearance would alleviate that. <laughs> so he said that like in a police interview, like right away. So that's kind of weird. Uh huh. Uh, so one of the sources I saw said that the National Enquirer had a $100,000 reward for evidence of ufos and if they they contacted travis and Dwayne, and if they passed the polygraph test they'd be eligible for the award um and then travis and Dwayne were like uh i don't know if we want to and then the inquirer was like well if you fail we won't publish the results and they were like okay um so the polygraph exam was given by a man named McCarthy, and he said that it was the plainest case of lying that he had seen in 20 years. And oh. they failed the examination, and the acquirer did not publish it. And I wonder if this might be the examination that 
class philip j class had found um in his investigation but i don't know maybe they meant more examination as in interviews and the polygraph test not like i don't know medical exam well i mean they were all like i said polygraph exams play a big part in this story and as far as i know Inquirer gave them a polygraph exam they did not pass um and then philip j class said he found a exam a polygraph examination that they failed so i don't know if it's the same one but anyway oh okay um and this this source seemed to they said that they um found varying accounts of the polygraphs that they passed and failed and it seemed like you know the side of the people that believed kind of cherry picked those results of course um sure yeah so who knows how many polygraph tests they passed or failed uh they the examination of the or investigation of the site where it happened they found no disturbances in the pine needles around that area um and also medical exams that were given to Travis revealed no trauma or malnutrition. Uh, he claims to have like lost 12 pounds over those five days and not to not have eaten anything, although he can't remember all of the five days. So who knows? Uh, um, yeah, that would be really, there would have had to be like constant exercise <laughs> yeah i know like it seems hard to lose no eating 12 pounds in five days just from not eating i don't know yeah well because you have to have a calorie deficit to yeah. cause weight loss mm -hmm. and i forget how many calories burned equals a pound but it's a couple thousand or something like that right it's enough you know he would have to have quite he'd have to have quite the deficit over that five days yeah so and the last weird thing is that travis's story is very similar to a work of fiction that was published in 1958 it was authored by robert heinlein called have spacesuit will travel there's a lot of parallels in those stories so yeah, I don't the know. Hoax or truth, you decide. <laughs> the Mayo Clinic says 3,500 calories equals about a pound of fat. So you would have to burn 3,500 calories to lose a pound times five days. So mm -hmm. that's, what that's do you, a bunch. What do you burn? How many calories do you burn just by existing? Uh, let's find out. Average <laughs> now we are the investigators. Calories burned daily. Adult. Let's see. How many calories do I burn in a day? I feel like Healthline is legit enough to give that. It obviously is gonna depend on your um activity level like yeah i just, just mean i just mean to like exist you know like you know like your body burns calories just by its natural processes without you know help from 
you doing exercise or whatever. Okay, so there's a very complicated formula that ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> so we will just go with the example that we use, they use in this Healthline article. It says, a 150-pound female who's extra active will need 27, 2,716 calories to maintain their weight. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe it's 2,500 calories for the average person. It's really disappointing if you ever are on, like, an elliptical or a treadmill and you mess with the settings to find out how many calories you burned for the amount of time that you've been on there it makes you want to punch it you're like really yeah i burned 50 calories and i feel like i'm gonna flop on the ground that's it mm -hmm. yeah it's super that's what i'm saying like you have to really go out of your way mm -hmm. to burn for females it's like the formula is something like you take this number times your weight plus another number times your height minus another number times your age to get your base metabolic rate. Mm -hmm. So there's like actual math and then you factor in your activity level. So very active, it's 1.9 sedentary is 1.2 so yeah it's probably you probably still need you know somewhere 23 2500 2500 somewhere between like 23 and 2500 calories a day just to maintain your weight if you're a whopping 150 pound female mm -hmm. and for men 180 pound dude who's moderately active needs 2,836 calories. So I don't know how big this guy was, but yeah, 180 seems average-ish. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's um, uh, Travis Walton's abductee experience. Were there any anal probes? Mm, I mean, there could have been, but he did not. He didn't bring it up? No. I feel like part of the story's missing. <laughs> There's always I told an anal you, probe. I told you not all of them have anal probes. A significant portion of them <laughs> include anal probes for some unknown reason. Okay. He did have the classic, they didn't really have um, fully formed facial features. Mm-hmm. You know, the drawings that they... Did he have any drawings? Mm, not that they... what they look like? No, not that they mentioned. Um, they did show the a lot of... E.T. sort of looking alien. They did. They showed a lot of, like, the stereotypical alien. You know, like, big head, small black eyes, small mouth. Fly small eyes. Nose. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, okay. the, it was just... The documentary is a little cheesy in that way, but, you know. I thought that they brought up a lot of really good points in the documentary for it being a truthful experience or a truthful story that he was telling. Um, but I also, you know, there are a lot of, there's a lot of counterpoints, too, that I thought were legit, so... 
I don't know is the long and and short of it. Okay, fair. Yeah. So well, thanks for the fun story. Yeah, you're welcome. It's been a while since we did a UFO story, so. It has been a while. I've got some juicy true crime coming up for our next edition. Nice. Episode, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. I've got some real, real juicy stuff coming your way. Awesome. Well, uh, do you have anything for the time capsule or should we just close it out? I think it just the same sort of general feeling that I am, um, well, I think I told you before that I feel like overall my social needs are being met. You know, I'm on conference calls or Zoom calls all day long talking to people, to humans at work. And thanks to technology, I'm able to stay in touch with friends between, you know, phone and texting and online apps and that kind of thing. But the one thing that is lacking for this extrovert is the novelty of new people and being able to interact with them. Mm-hmm. I had a friend of mine did an updated portfolio headshot kind of thing for me. And we were at the park the other day. So, cause you know, neutral background, mm-hmm. like trees, leaves, uh, and I briefly got to talk to two strangers and I was so excited, <laughs> so excited to get to talk to two people I had never met before. And I thought this is the, exactly what they talk about when they say extroverts get their energy from interactions with people. Mm-hmm. And there is, I think that there's like a, a pie chart that goes along with it. You know, it's like the people you live with, the people you work with, your consistent circle of friends. And then there's this, the novelty care category, you know, people you bump into in public. I mean, I have, I made friends with someone that I had jury duty with that I'm still friends with. And this was maybe five years ago. <laughs> who also turned out to me my daughter's former French teacher. Oh, interesting. Um, yes. Bonjour, Annie. Um, anyway, I, you know, I have actually made real actual friends from chatting up strangers. And that is something that because I am purposely avoiding contact with humans I don't know most of the time, um, that's been kind of lacking that novelty and it's it it's partly because it's I love I love to learn I think people are interesting and those interactions are a conduit for new ideas new concepts new interests and those aren't things that I can get any other way it's like the one right. piece that I feel like's missing and I don't think that the internet is a replacement, like going on some forum right. or, 
you know, there's something about it being completely organic that's necessary for it to create that energy for me. Mm-hmm. Because we were outside and able, easily able to socially distance, and I felt safe because there was lots of good fresh air blowing around, <laughs> I was actually able to talk to them for a few minutes, and I had so much fun. That's I was great. totally stoked for the next 20, 30 minutes. I was like on a high. I need to think of how I can do that. And they, by the way, did. I don't think they thought they were hostages. They seemed to be enjoying the novelty <laughs> of it as well. Well, that's good. I think my friend who was playing photographer was slightly confused by what was going on because she is definitely an introvert. Yeah. I do think, oh, one other thing I was talking to a, a colleague who works in the same industry and has to host a lot of Zoom calls. And she said, hey, so we just started using Zoom at work too. And I need to figure out a way to do hold music at the beginning. And in my head, I thought, I'm sure there's a way you can do that. But why do you need it? And I was truly puzzled. I couldn't figure out why that would be something that's necessary. Mm -hmm. And then it dawned on me that she doesn't begin speaking until everyone's present. Where, to me, it's a cocktail party. I greet the first person that arrives, and then when the next person comes, if I think they might not know each other, I introduce them. And then it's just chit-chat until everyone's there. Mm Mm-hmm completely negating the need for any sort of hold music at all (laughs) and i told her that and she said oh hell no (laughs) and i thought well that's the difference between an introvert and an extrovert and we both facilitate workshops and conference calls and things like that we just have a completely different approach because of our personality types anyway i it was just kind of an interesting uh, observation. I was sincerely puzzled when she asked me about the hold music. I was like, why would she need hold music? Like, for what? Right. <laughs> I almost had to have her explain it to me. And then I was like, oh, okay. And I'm sure if my husband was in the same situation, that, well, it would be his worst nightmare to have to host it <laughs> for starters. Yeah. He would do his, we were talking about different, that was one thing we did this week too, was Uh, do some brainstorming about what kind of opportunities might exist for him and, you know, would he need to go to school to do it and that kind of stuff, doing a little family strategic planning. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, what about doing customer service? Because I think a lot of that would be, um, could probably be done at home considering the pandemic. And he's like, I mean, I would, if that was the only thing available but it definitely wouldn't be my first choice Mm -hmm. and we were looking through I had him take our career test and we were looking through some of the different uh, job descriptions that came up because you know when you if you've never taken a career test before do it just because it's interesting but ONET which is an arm of the Department of Labor has a pretty good one and it's helpful if nothing else to help you think of other jobs that maybe you didn't even know existed and all the jobs that he was picking were things like there was one that was basically you bust rocks and i thought that sounds awful (laughs) 
That sounds and like I, yeah, sounds like something that you do. You're made to do when you're in prison. <laughs> well, I think for him, he thought if I bust rocks, I don't have to talk to people. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm sure it's more complicated than that. I'm really oversimplifying what this job was. But that was what I heard was you bust rocks. I thought it was very interesting the um, how people uh, categorize their interests. Like, what are what's the litmus test? And for him, it's how much do I have to interact with other people? <laughs> and when do you when do you start back? Uh, working full time. Oh, I started this week. Oh, you did. And mm-hmm. so, where are you working full time? Is it at the community college? Yeah. Well, I'm part time at the community college, and then part time at the pizza place. So I'm essentially full time and going to school. Not really. I mean, not really going to school, but you know, you got nothing to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> obviously. Mm-hmm. And what? What are you working on at the community college exactly? So are, are they going to televise performances? We're or? not doing any shows in the theater. Um, I think they're doing, I think they're planning on doing two virtual shows, but um, my boss is of the opinion that I will not be involved in that. So I'm just basically cleaning and organizing the costume shop and all the costumes that we have. Oh, okay. So doing like a really thorough inventory of the costume shop or something. Yeah, pretty much. That's cool. It's yeah, different. It's something different, you know. Yeah. It's yeah, it's awesome. nice to like have all this time to do that. Usually, I'm trying to do that and also design shows like kind of at the same time and getting some cleaning in, you know, here and there. Um, but yeah, it's kind of helpful to just have a lot of time to do it. And, yeah. Well, and also, you know, even you're much more introverted than I am, but I'm sure it's nice to see your people. I mean, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> they're they're not like, they're they're nice folks, but it's like you know, I don't see them much, you know. Right. It's right. a it's a pretty even when even before the pandemic, I would see maybe three or four people a day, like. It's, pretty pretty isolated job and i like that (laughs) really i thought that you were all maybe i'm getting because you work for more than one place but i thought you were all uh building costumes together in the same space oh that's a yeah that would be a different place um that's at upper when i work at upper theater oh okay that makes sense Mm -hmm. because you're building large costumes and it's yeah and where it's like teams of people and yeah for 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 the community college it's just me myself and i you know so i don't think i realized that i thought Mm -hmm. that it was kind of the same in both places what do i know (laughs) well we don't have the budget for more than just me working (laughs) part-time i mean it is a community college and although i have to say just a plug for the community college system here in the loo. We have a really great community college system. I know that from talking to other people, that's not necessarily true in all cities. 
Um, it's definitely true here. Mm -hmm. And the arts programs at our community colleges are very well respected. Yeah. So, woohoo! Support support local theater when it comes back. Heck yeah! (laughs) So, yeah. um, Should we, I guess, let's close it out, huh? Let's do it. Thank you, Brayden Henze, for our intro and outro music. You can find his podcast on YouTube. If you have any stories or topic suggestions or you just want to say, hey, what's up? You can tweet us at creepyclubpod. You can email us at creepyclubpodcast at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash creepyclubpodcast. You can follow us on Instagram at creepyclubpodcast. You can follow me at Risboomba. R-I-S-B-O-O-M-B-A-H. You can follow Heidi at Creepy Club Heidi. You can follow my very loud bird and my adorable cat at Penny and Paco. (laughs) Right on cue. Um, If you want to look up the sources for this episode and any other episode, you can go to creepyclubpodcast.com and look for the meeting minutes. Uh, If you like this podcast, we would really appreciate it if you rate, reviewed, Subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever podcast app you prefer. And tell your friends, please. (laughs) I love Paco. (laughs) (laughs) He has really good timing. So, yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening. And we hope you join us next time. Meeting adjourned. See ya. See ya.